Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How I missed this. Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we find the coolest university technologies that you don't have to. We want to add to the volume of some of those innovations and hopefully help them become actual things that people can use. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, PhD, science wizard. How's it going, Tyler? Good. How are you doing, Charlie? Not bad. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Thank you. I'm also joined by Joe Rungi, Dr. Law Dog, and entrepreneurial werewolf. New in 2020. What's new in 2020? Me. Well, we're all kind of new in that sense. I mean, I was never this person before. Neither was I. But you know who I was? Who? Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. Please rate it. Please tell your friends. We are the front porch for academic innovation worldwide. It would help if you could tell someone about it. Yes, we do want to get the word out because we don't – and the more people we can tell, the more chances we have of actually – Fulfilling our mission of helping these things become actual things. Now, all that said, I want to go over uh, vaccines because I think they're weird. I don't understand them. How do you figure out that if I give my kid, um, I don't know, what do you do? You rub your kid's face in like a diseased chicken or something, and that protects them against getting chicken pox? Oh, wait, that works. I don't know. I think, I think that's, that might be another V word. That that's, might be voodoo. <laughs> that's what I've been. Mean. Well, they would take, I, I thought I read something that they would dip needles like in the pustules of like chicken pox victims or smallpox or something like that. Oh, and then, yeah. Joe was just talking about that hey, the other day. Hey, science person. <laughs> <laughs> so, so interesting thing about so that. So how do you get to, the, how do you get there? First of all, I mean, who has that idea? Remember that show we did about, what was it? Bear gallbladders mm. oh that yeah yeah okay now that one i Delicious. don't get i don't get the line from you know wait how did we start doing this but i do know the vaccine one right okay. because what it was based upon was the observation that people who had exposures to less virulent diseases what that were related to more virulent diseases didn't get the more virulent <laughs> diseases and so the initial Vaccine against smallpox. Wait, what does that mean? Are you exposed to a less virulent? Yeah, that's a good point. So, like, there was, there are other kinds of poxes, right? So you have smallpox, you got chickenpox, mm-hmm. and there was a less virulent version of it called cowpox, and uh, milkmaids would get it. So you'd be out milking the cows. Cows have cowpox. So you get cowpox, and cowpox didn't kill you. You know, it was, I don't know, annoying or whatever. It was right? just embarrassing. Right. <laughs> I got cowpox again. <laughs> I got... <laughs> right, exactly. Uncontrolled mooing, whatever they got. And so um, the thing that was interesting, though, is that the, the milkmaids, what, that got the cowpox, when they would, they would either not get smallpox or they wouldn't die from smallpox. And that observation started sort of the line of discovery that led to dipping needles in pustules associated with uh, smallpox or whatever you're observing, right? That's what's interesting, at least for me about it, because th- you can sort of... Uh, so what would they do then no, with the knowledge that milkmaids were somehow safe or safer? Right, safer. How, how, what, what would they do then? Would right, they, because they're just like puzzling about it. They're like, you know, having an ale at the ale Because they, sure, they didn't understand the mechanism. Exactly. That, I mean, what year are we talking about? Help me this understand. This would be what, late 18th centuries. This is 17. 1796. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pulled from memory from <laughs> thin air and definitely not my smartphone. <laughs> He had a Kreskin-esque envelope that he just looked at. Yeah, nice turban. <laughs> so 
for all of our <laughs> listeners who are letter or God, I almost said the Letterman or Johnny Carson fans. Anyways, the um, the the I mean, view it this way, right? Like Smallpox was a big deal, right? It was like hard to even relate to yeah. how dangerous you know smallpox outbreaks were and how many people died of them. And, and it was basically magic, right? It was just. Well, a little more than that, but not smallpox. But okay, the, but like think of like plagues in general, right? Black yeah. Death is going across Europe. Some people get it, some people don't. Yeah, it's it's, it's and so you project onto that whatever your belief system is. Yeah, it's so, chaos. You know, it's magic. Yeah, miasma. Gods right. are angry. Gods are not. Whatever. And so that same process, you know, two hundred years of enlightenment later, sort of gave thought to well, maybe there's something about these people. You know, physically, what have they come in contact with? What might do it? Mm-hmm. You know, the understanding that maybe there was some transmission of some particle between the cow uh, pox sufferers that gave them some immunity to smallpox. Yeah. So it started with just this is just pure scientific method that Joe's describing here. It's just scientific method 101. So right. it starts with a good observation. And there was a dude, Dr. William Jenner, I believe, who just observed that the milkmaids who had cowpox. Um, didn't appear, they didn't appear to be dying of smallpox. Uh, so he decided to test that with a hypothesis. He hypothesized then that there was something protective about the cowpox. Right. Um, and then he literally did the experiment. So what, what do you mean literally did the experiment? He would expose non-milkmaid people to cowpox and then watch them and see if they would similarly get the immune benefit of, of, of whatever the milkmaids had in light of whatever the outbreak of smallpox was. It sounds like that approach might be illegal today. Oh, it would require regulation. Oh, it, yeah. Yeah, <coughs> there it, was it, unregulated. Uh, yeah, this is some of the first clinical trials, maybe so the first clinical trials. This is that magical <coughs> era before, after the creation of the scientific method, but before the FDA. Okay. So then, um, <clears throat> and then, so then he, he finds out it works. Yeah, he went a step further. I mean, he had, had said when he got very confident, he would literally, uh, you know, expose someone to, to cowpox and then expose them to smallpox. Holy cow. <laughs> later. And <laughs> luckily, There's a bravery test. Luckily, they didn't get smallpox. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. I'm so. the only published the ones at work. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it didn't work so well with monkeypox or. It didn't work against polio. <laughs> That's a bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Awful joke. All right. Thanks Too for soon. ruining the show. Add <laughs> Tyler's in timeout. Let's pull the lever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then what is that? What is that? So now. But here's the thing, right? Like, today? So it works and it's not different enough. This is what sort of bugs me, right? Because the, the you're absolutely right, right? Vaccines are mysterious. They're incredibly powerful. They were discovered almost entirely with an empirical observation rather than a mechanistic deconstruction. So like a lot of the science that we talk about is deconstructive, right? It's saying that we've broken this process down to its fundamental elements. We're yeah. swapping one or two out and seeing what happens. Whereas the whole vaccine process is largely, I mean, let's put it this way. The, the original discoverers of it would probably recognize what you were doing in yeah. terms of taking parts of viruses, right? That's equivalent to, you know, exposing people to the cowpox, right? Mm -hmm. Attenuating them or cooking them to make them non-lethal anymore. And then essentially uh, re-injecting them into people after sort of- Without really understanding at all how it works. I think that that's probably a bit too much. Okay. I think understanding generally how it works would be a way to do it. And like to give credit to 
the scientists who do this work, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot that they do know, right? So what's different now is there's a much better understanding of what specific parts of the virus are you taking. And so when you talk about designing the flu virus or the flu vaccine every year, that's based upon a lot of data of what flu strains are around, what are the parts of those flu strains that are the least likely to mutate, and then cutting those parts out and, and sort of growing them up on eggs. Yeah. So that growing process on, is very scientific. Eggs? On yeah. Eggs, yeah. So that's basically the big difference. We're no longer growing them, thankfully, in people, in milkmaids. Not, now we're growing Now we're growing our attenuated viruses uh, in eggs. How long yeah. have we been doing that? It turns out there's a shortage of milkmaids, too. <laughs> yeah. What's well, because of the robots? We should get into the shortages. Milkmaids unionized. Un- it got <laughs> ugly. <laughs> no more scientific experimentation. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so the uh, so vaccines you grow. I don't understand why did they grow them on eggs? How does that? I work? don't know that either. Why do they grow them on eggs? Well, you know. So I think um, they the their natural host is is eukaryotic cells of some shape or form. A what cell? A, 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 cell with a, a eukaryotic cell. Yeah, sorry. Yep. Not so a bacteria. Cell. So, yeah. So, um, most of the virus. So, there, there's a lot of viruses that can cross between um, avian, between birds, and between humans, right? Oh, so, that's why it's on eggs. Yeah. So, it's it's chicken eggs. Yeah. Because. So, like, what do you mean on eggs? Like, in, in eggs? Or just like, like you so grab they, an egg. So, they literally are growing the virus. They're literally, yeah. So, we're literally inside so a we chicken u- egg. Yes. So, we're literally using that as an incubator. Like in the yolk? Um, or in the white part. Uh, What's the white part called? The, the albumin. The albumin. Yeah, that's yeah. It, I guess it would have to be the yolk. Wow. The, the albumin is all just protein for the most part, right? You know, honestly, <laughs> I I feel like we're getting wet. Well, no, they don't break the egg, right? Is the egg? The, are the eggs still? I think they can inject it into yeah, the inject, egg. Yeah, they inject it in the sure. shell. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Okay. So the yeah. egg is whole. I mean, I guess the yeah. I don't know. Maybe they ronco it, right? So anyway, the, the 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 key ports, the key points are obviously we we haven't I haven't uh, I, I don't know a great detail about vaccine <laughs> uh, development, but the key point is that it takes a while. Um, How long? So so we basically have to forecast our. Um, we're talking about the flu now. The yeah, flu vaccine, yeah, and, right? and this, yeah, we're, we're, we're really, we really are eggs. talking mostly about flu here. But yeah, anything that's grown in eggs, sure. Um, it's like any crop; you have to have enough of it grown up in the eggs. You have to grow virus. And because it takes time to grow and to be able to, to process it and turn it into a, a, a shot you can give somebody or a nasal spray, okay. you have to forecast in advance and predict what you think's going to be. You have to have lead time to make it. So, so it's like not I need, perfect. I feel like I need to do some basic education here for knuckleheads like me who might not understand the full process. Because, all right, what are you injecting into the egg? The virus? Yes. The, the, you're the, you're taking the, a, yeah. what you <clears> expect <throat> the next flu strain to be. That goes into the egg. That goes into the egg. And then what comes out of the egg? And what? how does it change? What you does it grow do? grow up more of the virus. Okay. Yeah. And then you attenuate it, right? What does attenuate Well, mean? either that or you're, I don't know, maybe it's already attenuated when you inject it. Got it. it. it so it's be, either it, before or after you it's, cook it's, the flu virus so it's not going to make cook you Cook it like overheat? Like overheat. Well, it's, yeah. okay. so there's different ways to do it too. I mean, there's there's ways to genetically neuter it of its lethality. Oh, okay. So it's no longer lethal. It's so just, what does the heat then do? So or what does the attenuation do to it? What yeah, it, it makes it, so you, you, you uh, take away the guns. So it, it turns from smallpox to cowpox. It's right. not going to kill somebody anymore. Might make How them do a little you do sick. that? I don't. That's so this is what has me. been learned since then. A yeah. lot of virus yeah. biology is knowing what parts of the virus are the parts your immune system recognizes, what parts are the parts that actually kill you, keeping the part your immune system recognizes, and getting rid of the parts that kill you. Yeah, you, you can literally just use 
uh, engineering to to take away the genes mm, that, just that produce heat the it to four fifty degrees for ten minutes and that turns so that would have been the older pot. way of doing That's it. The older way of doing it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now the we can modern... actually use CRISPR or whatever to okay. just, just engineer it. Cool. And, yeah. So why do people freak out about fire vaccines then? What's what makes them so anti? Okay, so there's some components that do are they put just in don't there. understand that part. Well, of it? N- no, I don't think they're worried about that. There's some components <clears> that are put in there that are that are like big spotlights for your immune system um, so that your immune system, so that you're guaranteed to get a lot of recognition and a robust immune response. And some of those components, um, okay. early on, some of those components were less than ideal and were probably causing some level of damage and harm. And there maybe were some adverse effects. We've gotten better at creating those components to the point now where uh, the, the studies done on connections between vaccination and, you know, your all sorts of different diseases or adverse effects are have been some of the most reproduced um, uh, experimentation ever ever performed at this point. So we can be showing pretty that conclusive. they are safe. Yes, yeah, that's that's interesting because I mean we we I think we had a whole episode dedicated to how difficult it is to reproduce results. But I do yeah. think that in terms of vaccines, right? There's a fundamental question, which is the whole point of a vaccine is you give someone a less lethal pathogen so they can recognize the more lethal one. And like, there is something inherently um, scary about that, right? Like every time you get a vaccine, you're getting essentially, what'd you call it? A disarmed flu. Yeah, it took right? the guns away. Yeah, but like, yeah. you know, there are people who have bad reactions to vaccines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, it happens. Or you get bad reactions to anything. Right. And so the question is always, you know, you're more likely or vaccines are designed in a way where the vast majority of benefit is going to occur, right? It's better to have immunity to the flu, even in light of the risk that the vaccine inherently has. I think the thing's a little bit different is you are consciously deciding to take that risk when you get vaccinated, as opposed to just hoping you don't get the flu, which, I mean, I think all of us can sort of relate to the um, the quandary in terms of risk analysis. The so, risk you elect seems scarier than the risk <clears throat> that just might happen to you. So Tyler was saying the issue is the time it takes then to acquire enough <clears throat> excuse me, uh, enough of the, the virus. Is right. there is there something to to shorten that time? Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, so the technology that, that I found that is really interesting, and, and there's a lot of approaches for this, so it's emblematic of a, a field of vaccine biology, but rather than wait for the vaccine to grow in eggs, right, for the sort of flu components to be there, this technology uses synthetic DNA. So um, there are machines that can sort of synthesize the the DNA associated with, you know, whatever sequence that you want. And in those terms, what they can uh, basically do is rather than have to grow up the vaccine, they just synthesize it chemically. So they, you know, I would think they could already do that. That's amazing. They can do that. But the problem has been is a lot of those synthetic flu shots have been uh, less effective. Oh. So, you know, synthesizing sort of those components works, um, but doing it in a way that those flu uh, vaccines are going to be as functional as kind of the conventional egg-grown ones, that's been the issue. And so um, a group out of uh, the University of of, uh, Pennsylvania, they uh, basically have identified a couple of hotspots within the flu biology itself. So they find the conserved areas of the flu. These are the ones that are constant amongst multiple different strains of flu. And from that, they're able to sort of construct something that has been able to get a more virulent response. Virulent is probably the wrong word. A more substantial immunity response in a variety of animal studies.
use. And the benefit of this is you wouldn't have that lag time anymore. You would design it on a computer, set it to a factory that can just churn out tons and tons of DNA. And then you can essentially respond to a pandemic flu relative to the existing technologies on a dime. So instead of months, you're talking about days. And instead of having to grow the flu and then process it into a pharmaceutical product, you would essentially synthesize it directly into a pharmaceutical product. That sounds great. How long before this is ready for widespread use? So, you know, flu clinical trials are complicated because, you know, you have to sort of identify the populations and observe them for a long time. And sort of the business model is more complicated, mm -hmm. right? So the, the dilemma is always going to be validating it on that scale. The data that this group has has been very interesting. Thing, um, in terms of their ability to do some initial animal studies. Uh, but, you know, again, translating that and also timing it because this is very much a flu-focused technology that comes out of Pennsylvania. And being able to time that to the particular flu cycles, that's a little bit harder. That's that's cool. Um, Tyler, I, we're, kind of, we're running a little low on time, but I did want to ask you, mm -hmm. is there um, – I think I've heard of approaches using vaccines for different diseases, not just virus, yeah, like flu. Um, I know. I think we talked once about. Well, we know we have. There's a researcher at UNMC, University of Nebraska Medical Center, that has is working on a, on a vaccine for Parkinson's, um, yeah. and we could talk about that some of the time. Yeah, but, that's right. Um, is that what about like cancer or anything like that? I thought I heard about a cancer vaccine that's being worked on. I think at Iowa. Yeah. You, did you hear about? Did you read about that? We maybe heard about it at the Midwest Drug Development Conference that's where that everyone should yeah. check out that <clears throat> that you so graciously put on and do a great job organizing every year. <clears throat> yes, you're right. At University of Iowa nanoparticle and checkpoint blockade uh, therapy for cancer. So in, uh, in short, and please, we'll, we'll provide uh, notes um, in the show notes on this. So please go look it up if you're interested. We're not gonna be able to do it justice here. But um, this is an interesting, uh, this, so this is a, a immunization method of, of um, basically uh, preventing a tumor from being able to hide from your immune, from your immune system. So it, it blocks all of the, all the, all the defense mechanisms that a tumor puts up uh, so that your immune system can then recognize it. So, you know, I, we just saw the latest Star Wars. Maybe I shouldn't have been saying that. I'm just going to date ourselves here. But anyway, I just saw the latest Star Wars. So <laughs> I threw it out there already. I can't take it back. Um, so, so this is literally, this immunization is literally bringing down the, uh, the shield so that the, the rebels can go and bomb the latest uh, whatever Death Star. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. on. <laughs> Uh, are, is there any how 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 early stage is this one? Have they? It is patented, um, and it is it's ready to be licensed. Um, you know, there would still need to be. There's been some uh, in vitro and vivo testing. Um, they're looking to do phase one clinicals here, so those would be. Oh, cool! That'd be good if they could really move up. So, yeah. Generally speaking, do vaccine are there a lot of vaccines that work for non-virus type applications? Yeah. It seems uh, like I've heard of a lot of approaches, but I always hear about them as early stage things. Yeah. So. I mean, really, sorry, I can let Joe speak too, but I mean, basically anything, your immune system <clears throat> interacts with a response to proteins. So anything, any pathway that involves uh, protein, which is a lot of pathways, you could theoretically use some sort of vaccine or <laughs> immunization to interact with. So many pathways. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think going back to Tyler's observation that no longer are we, you know, making viruses and cooking them to sort of attenuate them. Now what we're doing is we're sort of synthesizing the response, the molecules to which your body responds. 
So when you can do it with a virus, why not do it for a cancer cell? Why not do yeah. it for an aberrant? You know, as long as you know, like for a tumor, for example, you know the thing that makes the tumor different than the rest of your cells. So unlike chemo, then you've got immunological specificity. We talked about touches, right? Like they can target it absolutely yeah. specifically. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of vaccines for, for other things, though. It just sounds like there's a lot of talk about doing it. I just don't know if there's a lot of stuff out there that actually works. Well, we've had, I mean, in a previous episode, we uh, touched briefly mm -hmm. on vaccines for Alzheimer's that are being developed right now, right. too. So, yeah. I mean, I mean there's, there's, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff in development. Yeah. Is this vaccine approach, is that a relatively new concept for? I think the, the way I would view it is the tools to sort of make the specific molecules for which you're going to teach your immune system to respond, those are relatively new. Okay. And then on top of that, if you really think about the power that you're dealing with, right? Yeah. You're teaching your immune system to attack yourself, hoping that yeah. the specific <laughs> attacks the right way. So what yeah. do we say? What could go wrong, right? And yeah. so, you know, there's a Lupus. lot of skepticism, <clears throat> rightfully so, yeah, to make exactly. sure that these approaches are safe. Yeah. Okay. Every time you take your immune system to school, it might learn the wrong lesson. Or, Oops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's. It sounds like we could go on for this for a while, but it, it's we're running a bit long, so I think it's time we come to ground. I do want to give a shout out to our sponsors: Unimed, the Tech Transfer Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and KVNO Studios at UNO. Thank you for letting us use your facilities. Uh, for did you have something to say, Joe? Yeah, just please take a note to look at our program notes. We'll oh. have links to both the. Uh, synthetic vaccine from Pennsylvania, as well as the cancer vaccine from Iowa. So for Tyler Sharon, Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you and join us again on the Innovation Overground.